Well, we're starting a new series this week. I'm glad that you're all here uh, just to be a part of this. We're going to be looking at a letter written to um, the Corinthians. It was a city in Greece almost 2,000 years ago. Before we get into that, uh, this is not uh, a city in Greece. This is not 2,000 years ago. Um, in 2021, uh, America was called Resignation Nation. So in 2021, 4 million Americans quit their job every month. <laughs> That's about one-third, 50 million people in a year, about one-third of the workforce quit their job. And we actually had that here at our church as well. We had three different pastors that, that, that quit, um, the campus pastors at Conklin, Tunkhannock, and, um, and Vestal. And so I just wanted to, before I jumped in, just give you an update of what God has been doing. I know some of you have been praying for these other campuses of ours and, and that God would bring just the right man to it. Um, Conklin, back in September 12th, voted this guy, uh, Tim Sullivan, and his wife, Shana, and their, well, they didn't vote Shana and the five children in his pastor, but they voted Tim and his pastor, but there's five kids here. If you can't see the fifth one, it's because the baby's very small. Um, <laughs> And so they have been there since December. They moved out, out here in December uh, to, to be the campus pastor there in Conklin. So that was awesome. And then also, um, my clicker is not working. There we go. Um, this is Kurt Goglin, and he and his wife, uh, um, Amanda, yeah. They, they have been down in Tunkhannock as a part of the church for years now. And he is a professional counselor in the area. And so the overseers and um, the, the church there and uh, us pastors, we've met with Kurt and done a lot of groundwork and really think that he would make a great pastor in Tunkhannock. And so on March 6th, that congregation will be voting on whether to call him as their next campus pastor there. So we are a congregational church, and that means that um, the big decisions are not made by some hierarchy. They're not made by just the elders or, or pastors. The big decisions come down to, to you, the, the, the members of the church. And so um, who's going to be a pastor, our, our annual budget, things like that are, are made there. So then this third picture, and my clickers are working, so we have to just do it this way. Um, the next picture. There we go. All right. This is uh, um, Aaron Patton and his wife Amanda as well, and their three kids. And he is from Kansas City, Missouri. I've been a pastor out there, and he is coming out to Vestal. So... After Pastor Brett baptized Noah this morning, he quickly got in his vehicle and drove out to Vestal. He's been preaching out there, and, um, and so that'll allow Pastor Brett to, to get back to the normal 12 things that he does and not be also preaching and, and shepherding that congregation in Vestal. So it's just really encouraging um, to see this happening. And, um, and so just moving into 1 Corinthians, just uh, going to the map picture here. Um, where is Corinth? So, so the Bible is written to real people in a real period of time, in a real place. So it's not just this made-up stuff. And this is why the Bible is so applicable to us, and it's also a messy kind of book. Because it's not about godly people who live godly lives in a godly world. It's about ungodly people that God loved anyway and, and reached. In fact, what Noah said was just great, that even despite, how did he say it? I, but it was just really great how he said, no matter how ugly I am, God loves me just as I am. You know, and that, that was, he said it better. But um, so this is where Corinth is. It's on this isthmus. I'm not really sure I can say that word right, so I won't say it again. It is a narrow bridge of land about four miles separating southern Greece from northern Greece. Why is this important? Well, the next picture shows us why it's important because uh, I guess it's the next three pictures. It is a trade route. Just click through them. 
Oh, never mind. Um, <laughs> go back to the map. So it is a trade route from, um, from Turkey or Asia Minor, from Israel, from Egypt. All the, the, the boats from these places would come here in order to then further sail up to Rome. So this is Italy here. You might say, well, why would they do that? Wouldn't it be a straighter shot to go just like that across the Mediterranean and go right to Rome? Why would you come here? And that is because even though they had the technology to, to these boats to cross hundreds of miles of ocean, it was not safe. All right, so this is a long time ago, primitive technology, 2,000 years ago. Generally, they would hug the coastline to get to places because not only were their boats not awesome, um, but they were terrible at predicting the weather. And so if a storm would come up and you were in the middle of the Mediterranean, you could all die. And so they would, they would hug the coastline, and that meant, you know, many times they'd hop from island to island, and then this was a shortcut here. So Corinth was a center of trade, and that's where the next picture is of the canal that is in Corinth today. Um, so it's just a four-mile strip, and so even the next picture after that, you can get kind of a scale of, of how big, it, you know, this canal is. Not very big. All right. But back then, they didn't have a canal. What they would literally do is the boats would pull up on the one side, they would unload all of their wares, and then they would drag these boats and hoist them up on carts and pull them across the four or five miles to the other side, put the boat back in the water, load it up, and away they'd go. And you'd be like, that's a lot of work. And that means it was really dangerous to go the long way and it took longer to go the other way. This was a shorter way. And also, you could let the sailors off, and they could have a leave, right? And, and so that meant Corinth, no offense to all the sailors who are laughing right now. We know modern sailors are very moral, okay? But, but back then, sailors were not known for being the most moral people in the world. And this was true. So Corinth had quite a reputation also because... Every city had their own god or goddess that was like the god or goddess of that city, the most important, prestigious god. And in Corinth, that goddess or god was Aphrodite. And I, it took me a long time to find a picture of Aphrodite where there was a sculpture from 2,000 years ago that was not her naked. So because she is the goddess of sex, and so I went with a headshot. Um, <laughs> PG-13 PG sermon. Um, so, so you have all these sailors, their main goddess. In fact, Corinth was on the outs with, with Rome at one point, so they destroyed the city at some point, and then it was rebuilt. Um, so about a hundred, a couple hundred years before um, this letter was written to Corinth, the, the temple of Aphrodite had 5,000 priests and priestesses serving as prostitutes there. Okay, so in this period of time, it had been destroyed, it had been rebuilt, so it wasn't 5,000, it was just hundreds of prostitutes. And so here's how, what that meant. If you were a moral, considered a moral good man, and you wanted to do the right thing for your family, see, she, Aphrodite was a goddess not just of sex, but of fertility. So if you wanted good crops, if you wanted healthy kids, then it was your moral duty to do the right thing and go up to the temple and have sex with a, a man, priest, a woman, priestess, paying money for it. On top of this, other archaeological evidence and, and remains from this time uh, let us know that about one out of every three people in Corinth were slaves. So you're talking about sin city. And so, I mean, 
going to a prostitute wasn't like this shameful thing you did in a corner. No, it was in fact every time a Roman emperor came to power, he made a pilgrimage to Corinth so he could have sex with a prostitute there in the temple. This place is awful. They call evil good. And they call good evil. And, and I mention this because I meet some people sometimes who think that the way things are in America today is so much worse. Oh, they didn't have this kind of sin back in Bible times. Are you kidding me? And not only was it legal, but sin was celebrated. And as bad as things, and America is immoral, America calls evil things good. They call good things evil. But you know what? It could be worse than America because it was in Corinth. This is worse than Vegas. This is, this is a, a very bad place. And it might pop into your mind, why in the world would Paul go to a place like this and say, this is a great place to start a church? And that's because a lot of people think that being a Christian is about being safe and spending time with safe moral people in safe moral places until ultimately you get to the ultimate place of safety, heaven. And that is not what the Bible is about. That is not what following Jesus Christ is about. That's not what Jesus did. Did Jesus hang out with safe moral people? No. He hung out with, with prostitutes and tax collectors who were seen as traitors to their own country and people. In fact, his own disciples were a piece of work. Yeah, two of them that were like racists. They're like, these Samaritans weren't nice to us. Can we call down fire from heaven and kill every man, woman, and baby in the town? And Jesus is like, no, James and John, no, we're not doing that. Like, you know, he, he didn't hang out with safe moral people. And this is what, and Paul saw Corinth and he said, these people need Jesus. Does your heart burst like that? When, when you, you come across a jerk at work or in your family? Don't, don't look. Don't look next to you. Do you be like, man, they need Jesus? Or you're like, man, they, I need to get away. And, and this is what Paul said. And Corinth was a center. It was an economic center because of the, the shipping area it had, that, that little narrow land. So it was an economic center. It was a cultural center, religious center, because of, of the worship of this. It was well known. In fact, in their language, to have immoral sex... There was, a, there was a word for that, to Corinthianize. So the very town meant, the very city, hundreds of thousands of people lived there, one of the largest cities in ancient Roman Empire. The very city meant to have immoral sex. I mean, it, it just, so, but it was a cultural center as well. And the next slide is of a, an arena. The Corinthian games were one of the most well-known ancient Greek and Roman athletic events. By the time of Paul, it had been going on for over 600 years. Every other year was the Corinthian Games. In fact, Paul was a tent maker. Hundreds of thousands or at least tens of thousands of people would descend on this city every two years for these games. You'd have the Olympic Games on Mount Olympus, and then you'd have the Corinthian Games. And then you'd have the Pythian Games, probably in Pythias or wherever it was, Pythian Games. And then you'd have the Corinthian Games, and then you'd have the Olympic Games, and then you'd have the Corinthian. So every two years you have the Corinthian Games interspace with the Olympics and other things. So, so this was, a, and this is not, the Corinthian Stadium has been destroyed. This is an, one in Athens that was rebuilt about 50 miles away from Corinth. And this is the largest and the only arena that can seat thousands of people that is completely made out of marble. Okay, so these people took their athletic contests seriously. Remind you of any culture you know of that makes a, a, 
a holiday out of an athletic contest and sells commercial time for $7 million for 30 seconds, $230,000 a second. The Super Bowl commercials are, are cost. Anyway, so, so Paul said, this is a crossroads. These people need Jesus. People come from everywhere to, and come through Corinth, and, and there needs to be a, a witness for Jesus Christ there. So he starts off the book in 1 Corinthians 1.1, and he says this, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. We'll, we'll get into who Sosthenes is a little bit later, um, but it's, it's a really cool story. So he's starting a letter a normal way. I'm Paul, and then he addresses who he's talking to, to the church of Corinth. So we usually put, you know, dear so-and-so at the beginning of our letter, who we're, we're writing to, and who we are at the end. They just did it. This was the way they did it then. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. And so this verse, one of the things that stuck, stick out to me is he's calling people in Corinth sanctified and holy people. In fact, the word holy people there, if you have a King James translation, it translates that saints. It's the word for a saint. And so he's saying, I'm writing to the saints in Corinth. Now, most of us, we think saints are dead people who live very holy lives. He's writing to Corinth, and as messed up as the city of Corinth is, guess what? The church in Corinth, the people in the church, they're really messed up. In fact, this letter that Paul writes... Um, he, he has almost nothing good to say about them. They're getting drunk every week during communion. Okay, they're, they're visiting the temple prostitutes of Aphrodite still, some of the guys there. They're, they're um, suing each other and swindling each other out of their money, like they're, they're taking advantage and, and the, the, the poor are being treated like trash. You know, one-third of Corinth was slaves while the rich believers were, were you know, treating the, the poor believers. They'd come for this big meal that they'd have, like a fellowship meal, and they'd be like, I'm sorry, there's nothing left for you, and there's no room in the house, you sit out on the porch, and you go hungry while we get drunk and overeat inside, and this is church. In fact, their church was so chaotic, he said, I want you all to sh sit up and shut up, only let three people talk, and it has to be something the others understand and not this babbling tongue stuff like the church in Corinth was messed up and he's calling them saints and this is what we need to understand those sanctified in Christ Jesus sanctified means to be morally clean it's a picture of like clean hands right morally and how are we sanctified how are we morally clean it's in Christ Jesus it's not in our own selves and so he's, he's writing them, and the next verse is interesting as well. Grace and peace to you. This is a typical greeting even today among Jews and Arabs in the Middle East. They say, peace, shalom, peace to you. It's a way you, so this is a typical greeting, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In the letters they write, they'd start with, this is my name, this is who I'm writing to, and then um, they would say something positive about the people they're writing to. You know, and, and Paul does this in nine of his 11 letters. He says something positive about the people he's writing to. He says to the Philippians, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And he's just like, he just, Paul loves to encourage. 
And so nine of his 11 letters, he starts its typical format of letters back then, thanking them. Here it's interesting. This is Paul at his political best. There's two churches that he doesn't thank them for anything about them. One is Galatians, which is a legalistic church. The other is Corinth, which is the opposite of legalism. They just did whatever they wanted. Um, And here he says, I thank my God for what? Because of his grace given to you in Christ Jesus. I thank my God when I think of you because of what God's done in your life. (laughs) I don't really thank God for you. I thank God for God. (laughs) And his grace, what is grace? Grace is undeserved generosity. I thank God that he has given you good stuff that you do not deserve. And that's what he's writing to them. And so here's the first thing we need to learn is that we need to embrace God's grace in our own lives and realize that this is not, if there was a church that, if I was writing a letter, I would not call the Church of Corinth saints. But they were because of what Jesus did for them. And they said, I am going to surrender my life to Jesus because I am messed up and I can't fix my life. And I'm going to take what he's done on my behalf and humbly accept that. And then I'm going to surrender and give my life to Jesus and follow him. And when we surrender our lives to Jesus, it doesn't make us perfect. It just sets us on a path to be better, more and better disciples. And that's what God wants in our life, to be better. And unfortunately, in Corinth, they're starting at like negative eight. And so when they make it up to zero, man, that's improvement. You know, and, and just understanding the grace in our lives. And, and th- this is really important because... You know, I, I, was, I was ministering with some people a little while ago, and something just clicked in my head. And I thought, that woman that I'm ministering with, serving with, who's serving God, sold out to God, she, she had an abortion. She's talked to people about that. And that man, who's I'm also serving with at the time, he, he was married and divorced, by the time he was 25. And then the other man I'm with and serving with, he had a string of immoral relationships and was addicted to pornography. And and these are the people, not just in the church, but serving, leading. And you know, it, it comes down to this fact that Jesus said it this way, those who are forgiven much, love much. And those who are forgiven little, love little. Now, he said that to the Pharisees who needed as much or more forgiveness than anyone. They just didn't realize it. And, and in, in, as believers, we need to recognize, as those who are following Christ, we need to recognize all of us have been forgiven much. And the longer you're a Christian and the longer you follow Jesus Christ, the more likely it is that you forget that. In fact, I was at a funeral yesterday for Pastor Brett's mom, Carol. One of the amazing things about her life, her life is that she never forgot that. 14 years of age, surrendered her life to Jesus and never looked back and never acted like she was better than anyone else 
and, and was always grateful for God's grace in her life, so much so that she just served other people and loved much because she understood how much she had been loved. And that is incredibly rare that that after 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 60 years of walking with Christ, that she never lost that. And so just embrace God's undeserved generosity, God's grace in you. In fact, there's other things we can thank God for his grace as well. Verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 1, for in him you have been enriched in every way. So not only did God save you, but if you've given your life to Christ, he's enriched you with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge, God that's confirming our testimony about Christ among you. And then the next verse, therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. There are a bunch of reasons why people don't go to church. So the biggest one being, if you don't believe the Bible is true, okay, and you're not even curious about it, why would you come to church? Maybe to make someone else feel good, you know, but um, like that makes total sense. You don't believe this, you're not curious about it, of course you're not going to go to church. I, I totally get that, have no, no debate with that at all. But if you believe this book, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ to follow him, and you don't think church is important, this, this is what I don't get. And, and I think there's two reasons, there may be other reasons, but there's two really big reasons why people do that. Number one is, is they don't appreciate God's grace in their own lives in this way. God has given every single one of us who have given our lives to Jesus Christ a spiritual gift to help others follow him. And some people have such a low self-esteem and they think so little of themselves that, that they think like, that, what can I do? Like, I'm not going to help anybody. You know, and they're, they're, there's such self-doubt and insecurity. And they're like, I'm not going to go to church because there's, no, there's nothing for me to do in church. How, how am I going to be effective? I'm just a nobody. I have no gifts. And that is totally not true. He's saying, you do not lack Everyone has a gift. He talks about this more in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 to use. Um, don't just go to church. Be the church Sunday. We, we did that back in October. It was a day where we invited everyone to come here and not listen to a sermon and not hear singing or sing and to immediately leave and go out in the community and, and serve God in different ways. Well, some people, um, we had some jobs to do here. Like to, One of them was to write letters to different individuals who, who have cancer. And um, so some people stayed to do that. And uh, this is part, part celebrating what God's doing, part confession this morning. I have never done this before, but two of those letters that were written, I thought, what are they writing? And so it wasn't sealed. <laughs> and so I opened a letter written to someone else not by me, and just read it. And uh, I won't tell you uh, who wrote it, because I don't want to embarrass Leslie. <laughs> but uh, this is my confession as well. I, I just think she's watching this service online. Um, it was heartfelt, moving, uh, encouraging, personal. It, it, it was so awesome. It wasn't just hope you're feeling better praying for you sincerely you know it, it was an awesome letter and I thought 
this woman has a gift to write, to encourage. And you know, and so then I read another one. (laughs) And it was just as good. And then I'm like, all right, I got to stop. All right, no more. Seal them, you know, take the temptation away. And, but I just was so proud of my church, and it wasn't just her. There was like, I think we sent out like 50 or 60 letters to individuals who had cancer, or having health problems, and were struggling, and, and that's a gift. It's not a program. You might say, you know what, I'm not musical. Can't serve God in that way. I hate kids. Can't serve God in that way. I'm not good with new people. Like, I don't know what to say. I can't smile. You know, I have this deformity, and... You know, and my hands get cold, so I can't be a greeter in the parking lot. Whatever, you know, like, you're like, maybe you can't do an official ministry of the church, but there is something. There is a church that needs you. And if it's not Bridgewater, find the church that needs you. Because God says, man, my grace, you need to embrace God's grace that's in you. His grace, not just to save you, but to help others accept Christ as their Savior or others who have already accepted Christ to follow Jesus more. So embrace God's grace. And then the, the, the last thing is we need to celebrate God's grace in others. And going back to, to this verse, it, the you uh, in verse 8 and 9, he will also keep you firm to the end. Oh, wait, you know, back up to verse uh, 6 and 7 again. The you's in these verses, in verses 6 and 7, are you plural, okay? For in him, you have been enriched in every way. He's not saying one of you, you know, John, you've been enriched in every way. no. And John, you, you have all kinds of speech and all kinds of knowledge. No, he's saying all of you put together in the church, all of you have been enriched in every way. All of you have, have, have this, this knowledge that you need. And you do not lack any spiritual gift. There wasn't like one guy, right? It wasn't like Kim had every spiritual gift, right? And he's like, you, you, you. No, he's saying all of you put together have all the gifts you need. It's, the church is like, a, it's like a football team, right? We're joking about this. You know, Jeff up there on the feed, I'm like, man, he fits into a Giants jersey. Like, that could have been one of the Giant players. Like, I don't fit into Giant, you know, I don't fit into any, unless it's the kicker, right? <laughs> right? And, and you do. You have these different body types on the field. You have a kicker. He's, he's not going to be a lineman. Like, he will literally die. The third snap, you know, he'll be done, right? But then you have linemen. Quarterback doesn't look like that. And then you have the, the running back, and they're usually short. You know, they're like 5'8", 220 pounds. You know, they're just this, just the little guys that, you know, just, and, and they're all different. And the church is the same way. And you got people with the gift of gab, like me. You know, and you have other people who are prayer warriors, you have others who are writing letters and encouraging behind the scenes and, and putting together. If you, if you like to bake or, or cook, so we're, we're having dessert afterward. The deaconesses have put that together. Whenever we have a baptism, we kind of celebrate it and throw a party, and so there's dessert out there. Somewhere out there, there's a sheet to sign up if you want to help them do that in the future, if you want to bake for a morning like this. You might have to eat your way all through the brownies, and then the sheet is under. <laughs> no, that's not where it is, but... You know, you could try and eat through all the brownies, but um, you know, just different ways that people, and we need to embrace God. So some people, they don't go to church because they don't think they have anything to offer. Other people don't go to church because they don't think they need anyone. In fact, they say things like this. I'm not going to church because churches are full of hypocrites. 
Essentially, I'm better than those people at church. Churches are a bunch of snobs. That's a little ironic. I'm too snobby to go to a church full of snobs. Oh, no, come on in. We could take one more. You know, there's room. You know, some people say, boy, I have nothing to offer. Others are on the other side, and they say, well, my kids need church. But I don't, I don't need other people. I have everything. God has enriched me in every way. I have everything I need. Totally self-sufficient. And that is not what Paul is saying here at the beginning. It's not what God's Word teaches. It's not God's plan. Jesus didn't need anyone. And yet, what did he do? Surrounded himself with 12 men and, and lived with them and leaned on them, right? They're boating across the lake. He's asleep. He's letting them do the work, right? Because just modeling for us that we, we were made to be in a community with others. So, so I just want to encourage you. And this last verse really is kind of a different thing, but I just want to cover it. He will keep you firm to the end. So you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Many Christians struggle with something called assurance of faith or the, the security, eternal security. It's basically this idea of, I know I'm saved by faith in Jesus Christ, but what if I really mess up? Then I go to hell, right? Paul's saying, no, wrong. Once you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, he will never give up on you. He will keep you firm to the end. And when it, what happens when a Christian like goes off and just sins and does whatever they want? You know what happens? God doesn't let them go, and he disciplines. Because he will keep you firm to the end. If there was ever a group of believers who did not deserve to be kept firm to the end, it was the Corinthians. There's people in the church, they didn't believe in the resurrection. So they thought, you die, you die. There is no heaven. There is no hell. What? Paul's like, are you kidding me? That's not what I taught you. And there's others that they were celebrating. There was a man having sex with his stepmom. And they're like, aren't we so open-minded? We got this guy in our church like that. And Paul's like, no, you're not open-minded. It's wrong. Tell him it's wrong. What are you thinking? If there was anyone who didn't deserve to be kept firm to the end, it would be the Corinthian believers. And yet the truth is, once we surrender to God, he never gives up on us. And he pursues us and he loves us. And if you know that, and if you're part of his family, who is it that God wants you to reach and bring into his family? Um, it may be the least likely person. Sosthenes, he says at the beginning, he says, uh, I'm writing this with Sosthenes. Paul had poor eyesight, and so he always had someone else who was writing with him who basically he would dictate to because all 11 of Paul's letters have the same vocabulary, so it's the same guy writing them. And so Sosthenes was writing this stuff down. Who is Sosthenes? It was an unusual name even back then. And there is a Sosthenes mentioned in Acts 18. I encourage you to read that story because he is the biggest enemy of Paul and the church and believers in Corinth. He tries to get them imprisoned or killed or beaten up. And four years later, he is Paul's right-hand man passionate about following Jesus Christ. Think of the biggest jerk in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood. Maybe that is a Sosthenes that God wants you to reach.
because we don't know what happened, but he went from, from that to, to being their biggest fan. And I think Paul had a lot in common with Sosthenes because Paul was the exact same way. Paul was involved in the first murder of the first Christian. He set up the murder. He imprisoned other believers before he accepted Jesus as his Savior. He beat them. And then he met Jesus and his life completely changed. And I think Paul saw Sosthenes, his biggest enemy, and he said, that's me. Embrace God's grace in you. Never lose sight of how grateful we need to be for what God's done for us. And then just reach out to others uh, just to see God and celebrate God's grace in others as well. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for these words to a really messed up church. And God, it's encouraging because, um, you know, the church in America is a mess, but we're, I don't think we're quite as bad as Corinth. <laughs> and that's encouraging. Uh, it's not new, God. The problems we have today, the issues, the struggles, they're, they're not new. They're not unique. They're not unprecedented. And you have been faithful through it all through hundreds of years, through thousands of years of failure by, by church people and by, by saints, you've been faithful. God, help us to just, just immerse ourselves in that grace, to be so grateful for what you've given us, for how good you've been to us, that it would just overflow in our conversations with others, in the way we live our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's all stand together and close with this song.